Lord Jesus, we praise you for your watch care, for your guidance and direction, the Holy Spirit of God. We're thankful this morning to gather together in this place to look into your word. Father, to hear the word preached and taught, to sing the hymns of praise, to give our tithes and offerings, that we might know thee better, Father, that we might grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Forgive us for our sins and shortcomings. It's our desire, Father, that you have the honor and glory. The scripture says that you are to have glory in the church. We ask this morning, Father, that you would open our hearts and minds, help us come away from the cares and the problems and the trials of this life, to be able to rejoice afresh and anew in the fact that we know thee and thou art God and there is none other. And in spite of all the world does, in spite of all the world says, in spite of all the disbelief or the adulteration of the word, still we know that thou art God and thy word is pure and that you provide for us that which we have need of from the written word. Bless us from it, we ask this morning. Meet our needs. In the name of the Lord Jesus, amen. This morning we are going to finish the 14th chapter of Revelation. We'll be looking at the 17th through the 20th verse. Um, I have tried since we began the book of Revelation, not only to expound or bring to your mind the general teaching of that portion of Scripture, but if we were very... I don't know, scholarly, I don't know how to be scholarly, but if we could be very scholarly and very dry, we would just repeat what the Scripture says. And of course, we don't do that. We just let the Spirit lead us and give us that, which he would, and we usually give you a basic outline, which we will this morning. We'll read the Scripture to you first, Revelation 14, 17 through 20. Now remember, we've just had the uh, harvesting of God's people, Today, we're going to look at the harvesting of the wicked, the lost. And another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, which had power over fire, and cried with a loud cry, to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth, and gathered the wise, or the vine, I'm sorry, of the earth, and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the winepress, even unto the horse bridles, by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. The outline would quickly be this. Uh, this is assurance number seven. It's the terrible harvest of the ungodly when it takes place. The harvester is a great angel, not the Lord Jesus Christ, as in the last scene. He comes out of the temple, he has a sharp sickle, and the terror of the harvest of the ungodly 
is point number two, and the terror of the angelic cry, and the fact that this angel has the power of fire or judgment, cries out for judgment to begin. Then we have the terror of God's wrath. And then thirdly, the terror of Armageddon, the place where the wrath of God falls. I want you to notice it will be outside the city of Jerusalem, a horrifying judgment, complete and thorough. Now, of course, when we go through these scriptures, I leave hundreds of things unsaid or that I don't know or we don't want to take the time to bog down in or whatever. So hopefully this all inspires you to go back to those portions of Scripture and reread them and study them and ask God to give you what you have need of, knowledge and so on, of what's taking place. Now in the last scene we said that we saw the Lord Jesus Christ as he harvested his children, if you will. Now, we not only have the wrath of God pouring out in the battle of Armageddon at the end of this chapter, but you know people used to look at this and they thought, a 200 million man army, that couldn't possibly be. But it could. The Chinese themselves today can raise that many, they claim, in three days' time, besides their standing army and the reserves. Now, when it comes to fighting the Chinese, there is something that is today still true about them that has always been true. Now, if the Western ways keep getting into China, it might change. But even back in the early 50s, when my brother fought in Korea, it was the same thing. He said the Chinese would come in waves, and they didn't stop. <clears throat> they didn't care whether they were killed or not. They just kept coming and coming and coming. He said, so sometimes they were piled up in front of you, climbing over each other. Well, the Chinese at present, many of them still blindly have that, I don't know if you call it an attribute of them or not, but that's one thing that used to frighten some of the Caucasian armies to fight the yellow races because of that. They didn't stop. They just kept on coming no matter what. Now, the introduction as far as these few verses of Scripture are concerned this is the great day of earth's harvest. It's coming. You know, people today don't believe that God is going to judge. And if you tell them that God is sending judgment right now, they get mad. But it's true. God says, for instance, if you do this and this, this will happen. People do that and that, and it happens, and then they get all upset. They don't understand why that is. <clears throat> Pardon me. Today, AIDS and various other things <coughs> are happening that make people cry out. They're upset. They're disturbed why their lifestyle is infringed upon. <coughs> and yet, if they simply followed what God laid down for them to do, there wouldn't be a problem. If you and I simply followed what God tells us to do, there wouldn't be any problem. But do we always do that? Not always. There are times because of temptation. There are times because we just simply want to think our own thoughts and not worry about what God might or might not want. And we get into trouble. 
And it's that time again and again. And you know, I have been that way. I've sat back and I thought, all people have to do is just do what God says. Do I always do what God says? No. But I wish I had many times. At any rate, the harvest is coming. And God without mercy. You see, people, when they think of God, you and I, we, we preach through the attributes of God, I don't remember, some years back. But God is a perfectly balanced being. So his mercy, his long-suffering, his compassion, do not cancel out his holiness, his anger, his sense of justice. They all work together. Now the time's coming when God must punish, must judge the earth, and it won't be something that's simple. It won't be something that's easy. It will be the thing that the Bible describes. It will be a bad time. It will be a time when people will suffer the greatest sufferings that they've ever felt or tried to endure. The tribulation period, you know, we keep talking about the tribulation period, how awful it will be, and yet most people today are so hardened against terror and these kinds of things, it doesn't bother them at all. You only have to know why. You only have to look at the books and the movies and the other things that are coming out these days, the horror genre, and you find out that people are so used to hearing all of these and seeing all these awful things that this kind of terror doesn't frighten them. But believe me, it will when the time comes. There still is a great deal of difference between uh, fantasy and reality. God will then harvest the ungodly and the evil of this world and he will judge them in wrath not in love the people of the world will be engulfed in idolatry in murder in sorcery in fornication and all these things that the bible says is going to take place the immorality the stealing and so on there'll be a materialistic and a, a worldly atheistic god rejecting but there'll be no hope whatsoever for them because God won't stop and say, here's one more chance. No. The time has come when he says these things have to be judged and when he pours out his wrath upon the earth. Will you and I taste any of that? No. We're not appointed unto the day of wrath. We're not appointed unto wrath. God has saved us and all those he will save yet, has saved, will not come into the wrath of God, but the world will. And I'll tell you right now, unless God changes some things. I have some loved ones. I have family. I have close friends, people that I dearly love, that if they live a normal lifetime, they're probably going to go through or to the point of where they'll die during that tribulation period. I don't want that. I wish I could change them. I wish I could say them. I wish I could do something to make them see. But I can't. Only God can do that. So this passage looks at the reaping of the ungodly and the evil of the world. This is the great day of earth's harvest, I guess we could say. The terrible harvest of the ungodly, the evil of this world, are going to find, well, like R.G. Lee said, there's a payday someday. And they're going to reap exactly what they've sown. See, time and again, that's why God says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. 
And if he sows to his flesh to corruption, sows to the spirit in corruption, whatever any person on the face of this earth does, they will receive the exact reward for that. And so if they have done nothing but evil, if they've done wickedness, if they've murdered, if they've done whatever it is, even if nobody ever found out and they lived a perfect life and they did all these things, God knows and he will repay. Now people get confused and we might insert this here before we go through the rest of these verses. People get confused, so it doesn't hurt to repeat now and again, between the judgment seat of Christ and the great white throne judgment. Now, all the people in the world today who are amillennialists, who believe in, uh, even Spurgeon believed in one general judgment. He didn't see or didn't preach on the differences. But there isn't one final judgment when all the world will be judged and, and all these different judgments all talk about that one in a different phase of it. There are different judgments. You and I never will give an account of the sins in our life to take away our salvation. If God has saved us, he's paid for the sin. It's not imputed to us anymore. But the deeds done in the flesh, whether good or evil, after we're Christians, we must give an accounting for that at the judgment seat of Christ. And there'll be tears, and there'll be loss of reward, but God will be looking, trying those things that he can reward for. Everything that you and I have done because we love Christ and because he's uh, ordained us under those good works, and we've done them, they're rewardable. There are many crowns of reward. But that won't be a judgment. All of us who appear there have no chance of being lost. We're saved. We're there to be examined as far as our service is concerned to the Lord. But the great white throne judgment over in Revelation 20, you see there that the, and I saw the dead both small and great. And we know they came from the sea. The sea gave them up. We know that they came from death and hell. Every, All of them are there, and the heavens and the earth have fled away, and there they hang in space before the great white throne. And all those people are lost. There's no hope. God's not going to say to them, well, now these works are not, because works have nothing to do with salvation. The books will be open. God's book of remembrance, it's recorded there. You say, how could he do that? And listen, God can do anything. <laughs> Way more than you and I can even imagine or think. But the books will be open. And they'll be judged according to the works in those books. And the Lamb's book of life will be there to testify to the fact that none of them were ever in that book. They're lost. And whosoever was not found written in the Lamb's book of life, the last verse there in chapter 20, was, the Greek has the idea, hurled, cast into the lake of fire. Gehenna, fire and brimstone. That's a terrifying thing to me. You and I, if you're trusting Christ, if you're truly saved, if he has birthed you from above, and by the way, while we're talking about this, and uh, Rick and Karen, uh, among others, will hear this on the tape, uh, you know that I buy some books from the the Gospel Mission uh, out in Utah. It's particular Baptists. There's only two particular Baptist churches here in America. Hundreds in England and other places in Europe, but only two here. And they reprint all of the gospel literature that people have never even heard of before, been out of print for one, two, three hundred years. They print J.C. Riley and Top Lady and 
many good things besides their own ministers. Well, J.C. Riley has written several things. He's written a little 30 or 40 page pamphlet for young men. And we have some. And they're going to have that pamphlet. It talks to them about issues for young men. They have some pamphlets by J.C. Riley. I call them pamphlets because they're only 30, 40, 50 pages. Suitable for adults. Many of the topics are things that we know about, and one of them is being born from above. How do we know we've been born again and so on? So all of those will be coming in the next month or so, and instead of one particular book uh, this quarter, you'll probably get two or three or four of these smaller ones to read and study. At any rate, the harvester, the great angel, the terror of the harvest and the ungodly, the terror of Armageddon, the place where the wrath of God falls there in verse 20. Now, the harvester, the great angel, he comes to the temple of God, as it says here. This means he is from heaven, from God. The very presence of God is a special mission for God, and he holds a sharp sickle in his hand, the threshing tool of the farmer and the vineyard keeper. And now we've come to this picture in the end time. There's terror in this harvest of the ungodly. You know, the ungodly never go along every day and they say to themselves, boy, I know the truth and I didn't get caught today. Maybe I could just keep up. They don't know the truth. Even Mr. Nixon in much of his conversations and so on that I've read and heard, was not sorry for his sin as such. Now look at the Clinton administration today. They ought to apologize to Mr. Nixon, put up a monument to him. But he was sorry that he got caught. Now if you read some of his private White House tapes, he was he was a... Profane man in many ways. He used God's name in vain a lot of times. Now, he came out of a Quaker background. Should have known better than that. At any rate, God would hold him accountable for that. And if God didn't save him before he died, he is where many other leaders are today, suffering in the flames of Hades, awaiting the final judgment. There are two things I'd like you to see. Through all of their suffering, these people on the earth, as I've told you many times before, they never repented of their wickedness, of their sorceries, of their evil, the fornication, and so on. Instead, they always blamed God. And what's the first thing that happens when any terrible thing happens? Why did God let this happen? Why would he not? The worst possible thing that God could do is not intervene in the world's affairs at all and just let the world take care of itself. And then there wouldn't be anybody before it was over with. Even our insurance policies, although they capitalize on that, they'll cover you unless this is an act of God. They don't believe in God, but unless it's an act of God. The angel has the power of fire. That means that the fire of God's judgment is to be cast upon the earth and all unbelievers are to be consumed. You mean they'll just disappear? No. They'll never disappear. 
There is no annihilation. And even though Jehovah's Witnesses will tell you, yeah, there'll be one general resurrection, and when everybody is raised, they have a second chance. You want to become a Jehovah's Witness? Nah. Then they're annihilated. That's not true, either one of those statements. That's not true. Well, when God raises everyone, they see everything as the truth. They'll be given the hope of being... No, they won't. Once you and I leave this life, quickly, slowly, however we leave it, the die is cast. Whatever your condition before you left this earth stays the same for eternity. And people who leave this life without Jesus Christ continue without him. They go to a place of suffering and torment. You know, nobody likes to think about hell today. In fact, most people don't believe in hell anymore. And they say, well, those are expressions, those are, those are illustrations of something other than they are. Don't you believe that? When anybody tells you the Bible says this, but it doesn't mean that, forget it. You look sometime and take the time to look. You have red letter editions? Just look at the red letters that are in your New Testament. How many times does Christ speak about hell and the afterlife? A whole lot more than most people think. It's an important thing. But it's not on the minds of most people today. During the two hours we're here, over 10,000 people will leave this earth. Most of them without the Lord Jesus Christ. But nobody today probably is expecting to die. I mean, they may have cancer and they may know that the time's coming. and They're in bad shape and they don't know how much longer they can go. But it's still a surprise. Many of God's children know that it's coming. And they're able to see a cross. Or they're able to say something as they leave. But the majority of people today don't. You know, they'll get up this morning and say, well, this is the day I die. I better do this or that. They have no idea in the world that today is the day. No one who will have a fatal heart attack today has the idea that that's today. No one who will have a fatal automobile so-called accident. They won't say, well, that's today. They don't know. Now, you and I who know and love the Lord Jesus Christ, what do we have to worry about? Nothing. We think so sometimes, but we don't. Whatever comes into our life is for our good and his glory. That's easy to say when things are going well. But when things go bad, then it's more difficult. Secondly, the angel cries here for judgment to begin. And note how the ungodly and the evil of the earth are said to be clusters of grapes hanging on the vine of the earth. There are two vines on the earth. The vine of Jesus Christ and the vine of the world. Now you know that over in John 15 and verse 5, I am the vine, ye are the branches. And Jesus says, He that abideth in me and I in him, same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. I can't preach without the Lord Jesus Christ, without the Spirit of God motivating me. Alvin can. None of it. Well, we could, but it. If God doesn't bless our message and do what he wants to do with us, it's worthless. I don't care if we were the finest expositors or the most gifted and eloquent speakers in the world. wouldn't be anything unless God gives it and blesses it and accomplishes what he would through it. In fact, Jesus said that he's the vine, his followers are the branches. Read that whole 15th chapter of John. But also we're looking here at the clusters, the vine of the wicked. What will happen to it? It will be cut off. Humanly, from the human point of view, a person chooses 
upon which vine they're going to hang. They choose which cluster of grapes they're going to be in, humanly. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he put it in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And then what happens? Well, Joel says in Joel 3 and, and verse 14, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. There will be a time of God's wrath and this frightening picture of terror and horror of the terrible judgment to come to me is unnerving. The angel lifts the sickle high into the air and with a fell swoop he goes into the earth with the stroke of God's omnipotent power. He thrusts the sickle of eternal judgment into the earth. The view of the earth the vine that's there, the wicked, is cut. And all the ungodly, the evil of the earth, are cast into the winepress of God's wrath. The winepress of God's wrath, what is a winepress? A winepress was a trough. And that winepress, and that was usually made out of either stone or brick, was placed over a large vat. And the grapes of the vine were pressed or thrown in there, and then people stomped them. Now, don't start all this. Did they wash their feet? What kind of people? I have no idea. But I know that that's what they did. They stomped the grapes. And the juice ran down and was caught in the vat. God's wine press is thorough. The trampling of the grapes was deliberate. It was to get the juice. And so was God's, God's judgment. His wrath will be deliberate. And purposeful. It will be to execute perfect justice upon the ungodly and the evil of the world. See, God's perfectly just. He's perfectly equitable. And he's going to give back exactly according as man has done. The trampling of the grapes was thorough. The clusters of grapes were trampled and trampled until every single grape was crushed. You know, there won't be one person that's ever lived on the face of this earth that will escape God's judgment. He knows all things. You know, there are mysteries in history that you read about. The twin boys in the Tower of London, whether or not their relative, the king killed them so that he could rule and so on, no one really knows for sure. The lost Dauphin and all these other things. What happened to all those people? I don't know, but God knows. He knows. Well, what about some cavemen? I don't believe there were cavemen that looked like that. You know, you watch some of these silly movies that come out. There was one on yesterday. I forgot what it was. Oh, I know, because my sister read the whole series to her husband, because that's he likes that cave of the clan, clan of the cave bear. Maybe that was it. There's a whole series like that. And it talks about these prehistoric people. How do we know they're prehistoric people? Well, after all, we got part of a jawbone here, and we know that that came from... How do they know that? They don't. Well, Australopithecus man. Now, he they don't know that. Well, what evidence have you got? This skeleton? Well, we've got part of a tibia, and we have a little... Foolish. Now, there may be tribes that went out, and they lived in a wild state. But how did God create man? 
certainly not as a monkey. Although I'm sorry to say that if we look close at the human race, we can find some peoples and some behaviors that are close. There might be some argument if you just looked at the monkeys and the way some of the people behave. But they weren't made from monkeys. You and I both know that, but the world doesn't. In fact, they're trying now. Well, I don't have time to get into that because we're going to be out of time. Not only was the tramping of the grapes thorough, and I would remind you of John 3.36 that comes to my mind. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Think about what that says. He that believeth on the Son hath, at present, right now, has everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. You mean all these people walking around out here, people will say today that aren't saved, the wrath of God abides on them? It sure does. I don't like that either, but it's there. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. It's Romans 1 and 18. And so it is. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Second Peter 3, 7. Reserved unto the day of fire. Absolutely. We encounter what God says. You know, if any of you have ever seen a forest fire or the aftermath of one, and you've seen the animals that were burned and the desolateness of the land. Desolate. It's nothing but black, charred embers. Unrecognizable pieces of animal flesh, mostly. The trees, just black sticks. Everything devastated. It's only a tiny touch of what the fire of judgment will be like. And I like what Jude 14 and 15 says. Remember how many chapters are in Jude? One, or none, if you want to look at it that way. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these. Who? Well, look. Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Jude 14 and 15. Do the wicked out here know that they are living in an ungodly way? No. A lot of them would tell you, well, I'm a moral person. I believe in being monogamous. I have one wife. And I work a job. We even go to this little church down here. Church of what's happening now. You get a lot of kicks, good music. And I love to hear what they talk about in there. You ever read the Bible? I hear it at church. Do you love the Lord? Much as anybody, I guess. Those are dangerous answers. Now, Armageddon, we just want to say a word about this and we'll close. I'm sorry we're running late as usual. There also is the terror of Armageddon, the place where the wrath of God is to fall. The wine press of God's judgment is trampled down outside the city. The Valley of Jehoshaphat, probably. 
This is a reference to what believers call the great battle of Armageddon, the great day of the Lord, the final battle of human history, and so on and so on, where blood will run, horse bridle greet. Has that ever happened? Yes. In Roman times at one time. I don't remember the city nor the country, but you know a lot of those places are built close together, narrow streets. The Roman soldiers, I think I've told you about this before, and if you remember the name, that's great, I've forgotten. But they would kill in waves. Spears were used and so on, and then the second wave of Roman soldiers with the Roman swords would go in and finish killing those who were not dead and kill on until they kept pressing the city. And at that particular time, Roman history records that the blood was almost horse bridle deep along with all the other things. But it will be for sure when this time comes. And how long it's going to flow. Can't believe it. Now Isaiah graphically pictures the scene. I don't have time to read it now because we have to stop, but it's Isaiah 63, 1 through 6. Joel graphically pictures the scene we're talking about. We'll find that in Joel 3, 9 through 17. And finally, the Revelation graphically pictures the scene as well. You'll find that in Revelation 19, 13 through 21. A time when men, when Satan, will battle, and what will happen? They'll lose. Because he whose garments, vesture is dipped in blood, with the name of King of Kings and Lord of Lords, with the spectacular graphic picture of Christ on that white horse as he comes back with the armies of heaven to defeat them. People look at each other and say, what do you think? I think it's true. Anybody that can sit and believe that Superman is real should be able to believe that God knows what he's doing. Anybody who can believe the lies and the trash and the doctrines of demons and all the other things that surround us today are foolish not to believe the truth. I close with this. man told me one time, he was a witch, gave me some problems for a time, but uh, we were fairly close as friends before I fully realized what he was or what he did or said. He waited until you knew him real well before he told you that. But he said, you know, you believe all these foolish things like Jesus is really the Christ, he's really God. If you'll just let me, he said, I'll take you to the court of Hammurabi. Here's how you do it. While you're asleep, you'll be able to come out of your body and go there. Well, I don't want to come out of my body. I'm not sure as big as I am, I get it all back in there or not. I don't know. But at any rate, <clears throat> he said, you know the truth. So I said to him, okay, supposing you're right and I'm wrong, what did I lose? Well, nothing. He said, you'll have to come back maybe and do another life or two to get straightened up. And I said, what if I'm right? And you're wrong. I didn't have any answer for that. And so, you and I can fully trust and believe what God is saying. It's going to happen. I don't want to see it happen to the people that I love, or anybody for that matter. So let us be aware of what's coming and watch for the opportunities to speak the words of truth. Father, we commit these thoughts into your hands this morning. Holy and precious, high and lifted up art thou. Forgive us of our sins and our shortcomings. Use us, Father. Help us to be aware of those things coming and to live accordingly. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.